well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. So there's this really interesting story in 1 Samuel chapter 25 about David and a man named Nabal. Now, Nabal's name means fool. Why, as a parent, would you name your kid fool? I'm not exactly sure I know why. Actually, maybe I do kind of know why a little bit. But his name is Fool, and as we find out in this story, that's a significant part to it. And so what's happening at the beginning of the chapter is the prophet Samuel has died. There's already been a lot of tension between King Saul and David, who's eventually supposed to take his place. And now that Samuel is out of the picture, things are about to get pretty scary for David. And so David goes on the run. He and some of his men, as they're running from Saul, they go and they camp out in the desert of Moan. And they set up camp near where Nabal and his family, his property is. Now Nabal, even though his name means fool, he was actually a really wealthy man. He had tons of goats, tons of sheep. And so it came to the time of year, the season that I know all of us in here love, the season we all look forward to, sheep shearing season. And so it's sheep shearing season and Nabal's men are out there shearing sheep. And so David's men who are camped nearby, they decide to do something that wasn't totally uncommon, although it may seem strange to us. They decide to go over and help Nabal's men by protecting them from thieves and bandits and people like that. And so they surround Nabal's men as they're shearing sheep and offer them protection. Well, after this is over, David sends a representative to go to Nabal, and they go and they ask for some supplies and some food. And Nabal, being the fool that he was, he does something that he would probably regret. He basically snubs David. He acts like he doesn't know who David is. And he says, I'm not going to do what you're asking of me. And so David's men come back to him. They tell him what happens. And David is furious. And so he gets his men together. And they're going to go down there. And they're going to wipe out Nabal and his entire household. As they're heading there, Nabal's wife, Abigail. And we find out from scripture that Abigail is intelligent and beautiful. And Abigail finds out what's happening and that David is coming to wipe them out. And so she decides to take matters into her own hands. She gets together supplies and food and she goes to intercept David. And when she gets to David, basically stealing a line from Mr. T, she says, pity the fool. She says, don't listen to my husband. His name means fool and a fool he is as well. And so this conversation that they have uh, is inspiring to David, and he's blown away by her initiative, and he decides not to go through with his plan. Come to find out later that Nabal ends up dying of natural causes, and Abigail and David get married. But what's interesting to me about this story is that Nabal, his name meant fool, and he lived up to that name. That name that was given to him defined and described how he lived his life his actions. He didn't choose that name. Somebody chose that name for him, and he lived according to that name. 
I believe this happens in life sometimes to us, where something maybe that somebody else has chosen for us, a name, um, an identity, circumstances that are a part of our life, end up defining who we are. And whether we realize it or not, whether it's intentional or not, sometimes our identity can be found in our difficulty. We can make what's happening to us in our circumstances, in our situations, and we can let that define who we are. We can let that name us, give us our name. And I think that's what's happening to Nabal. And I think it's what's happening in another story that we're going to look at together this morning. So if you have a Bible, and you want to flip in your Bibles to John chapter 5, let's look at a story there together. We've been going through the series, Questions from Jesus. And there's a question that Jesus asks in John chapter 5, which is kind of a surprising question. And it's not surprising to me so much so that Jesus would ask it, although that's a little bit of the surprise. But it's surprising to me what Jesus expected the answer to be. And so let's look at this question together. The story in John chapter 5 begins at the beginning of the chapter where Jesus encounters a paralyzed man who's amongst a large group of disabled people. And the people in the story, they would gather in one spot with the hope that by coming to this spot and being there at the right time, that they would get healed eventually. And so let's look together. Let's read and pay attention to Jesus' surprising question. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now if you're looking in your Bibles Uh, Your Bibles probably skip from verse 3 to verse 5. And if you look at the bottom of your Bibles, there's probably a footnote that says verse 4 is not found in some of the early manuscripts, and so we didn't include it in this. But I want us to read verse 4 because I think it's important to the context of what's going on. So in verse 4 it says, They waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever diseases he had. So that's the situation that we find ourselves in. They are gathering here together, all of these people that have real, legitimate, difficult circumstances that they find themselves in. And they're gathered there for one specific reason. It's not just because this is a fun thing to do. It's not because they love hanging out with this group of people. They're there with the hope and the goal Of what? Being healed. They're coming there to be healed. Everybody that is gathered here at this spot all is there for the same purpose, the same reason. They want whatever's affecting them to be taken away and to be healed. And so it makes what happens next, what Jesus says, seem kind of odd and strange. And so let's look in verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So now we're looking specifically at one person. And this is one person that has been paralyzed, has been here for 38 years. Now, what's interesting to me is we don't get this person's name. We're not told if their name's Simon or John or James or anything like that. The the name that we're given is really a description. And the description, the identity of this person is the one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 6 says, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, and here's our question, 
Do you want to get well? Doesn't this seem like a really odd question for Jesus to ask a man who'd been an invalid for 38 years? This man had been lying by the pool of Bethsaida, waiting to be cured by a spirit that would occasionally stir up the waters. And Jesus wanted to know if this man knew what he wanted. Jesus is asking him, do you really want this? Do you want to get well? And here's why I think he's asking this question. It's possible that this man, who'd been coming to this pool, had been so wrapped up in his unfortunate situation that this has now become how he identifies who he is. And we see actually here in a a minute as we go on through the story that he describes himself this way. He talks about himself as the one who has been here the longest or the one who who was the worst off. And so his identity has become his circumstance. His name has become his difficulty. This is who he is. He is this person who has been sick and unable to walk for 38 years. And so Jesus, if he cures him, what would he be now? Now who would he be? Who would his identity be? And so for me, the question is harder than it appears. Do you want to get well? Well, yes, of course I want to get well. But if that man were to say yes, a lot of things would immediately change. The routine that he had built for himself, that would change. The expectation of what would happen tomorrow would change. How he would get by, what he would do each day, that would change. And so the question for me is a little harder than it appears. I know for me, things that I have learned about myself over the course of the past year with the pandemic and routines and circumstances that we find ourselves in, it's been revealing, hasn't it, in some ways? It's let us know what's important to us. It's let us know the things that maybe are worth getting frustrated and complaining about and the things that aren't. It's let us know what it is that we should have our focus on, what's really important and matters to us. And so to be honest, this do you want to get well, it is a difficult question in some ways. To get well for this man would mean facing some hard and uncomfortable questions. For us, we face some hard and uncomfortable questions. To get well would mean facing some questions for ourselves like, why does this person make me angry? Why do I feel fear when I think about this certain thing in my life? Why is it easier to watch another show than to come before the Lord with my questions? Do you want to get well? Our difficulty can be out of our control. Our circumstance can be something that we have no impact or effect over. But that circumstance and difficulty, it doesn't have to be our identity. And so, as we go on in our story here, here's what the man says in verse 7. He says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, he's answering Jesus' question, do you want to get well, by saying, well, this is the reasons why I haven't gotten well yet. This is the reasons why I haven't been healed. The reason why I haven't been healed is because people keep rushing ahead of me. It's not fair. When the time comes, I I can't get in. There's nobody here to help me get in. In other words, I don't know another way. Do you have another way? That's the question the man's asking. I know the pool gets stirred, and I know that people get healed when they go in there. That's what I have. That's what I know. That's what I do. And so I come here every day, and I wait for that one thing. I wait for the circumstance to change, and then I will enter in. I don't know another way, he says. But we find out that there is another way in verse 8 and 9. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, 
pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I can do it, Jesus says. I can make you whole. Your way isn't working. You still come here every day and you still can't walk. I have a better way. And Jesus heals him. And so as we think about this idea, this idea of our circumstances, our name, defining who we are and how it can be different, I want us to look at a couple things together. For us, when a difficulty, when a problem continues, the longer a problem continues, the more discouraged you become. For 38 years, this man had faced this very difficult problem, a very real problem that he was facing. And for us, maybe you have faced a problem and it's been going on for a long time. Maybe it's an addiction that you have. Maybe it's bad habits that you've become more aware of. Maybe it's health issues and you've tried different things, but you can't change and it's not getting better. And so the longer this problem continues, the more discouraged you become. Also, the longer a problem continues, the more excuses you make. His excuse, sir, I have no one to help me in the pool. The water's stirred. People run by me. Maybe for us it's my kids won't change. My husband, my wife, they just, they won't change. I don't have enough time to do what I need to do. Things at work are just unfair. And we make excuses for all these things that are happening in our lives. Also, the longer a problem continues, the more we learn to compensate. We may not like our circumstances that we find ourselves in. In fact, that's probably definitely the case. Many of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, we don't like. But what ends up happening is the longer that they continue, the more we get used to them. And then we manage those circumstances. But here's something we need to understand. You cannot change what you're willing to tolerate. You cannot change what you're willing to tolerate. If there is something in your life that you know needs to change, but you're okay with it, Maybe because the problem has been there for so long that you've just gotten used to it and so you've accepted it and you tolerate it, then it's not going to change. I believe the question of what's the biggest hindrance to faith, the biggest hindrance to faith isn't doubt or worry or fear. The biggest hindrance to faith is the familiar. The familiar is the enemy to faith. It's accepting what is instead of acknowledging what could or should be in our life. It takes faith to step away from the familiar. Without risk, there is no restoration. Without trust, there is no transformation. And so maybe one reason that Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well, is because we have to actually think about, is the answer yes? Do I really want this thing to change in my life? Because you can't help someone who needs help. You can only help someone who wants help. When we complain to God about our circumstances, when we give excuses as to why we're still in the same place, spiritually or emotionally, year after year, perhaps the question that he still aims at our hearts is this question, do you want to get well? Do you want to move forward spiritually? Do you want to make progress Emotionally, Do you want to go to a new place where God can be your all in all, not the situation that you let define you? And so for healing to take place, to get well, to be whole, healing will not begin until your desire is bigger than your difficulty. 
You have to have more of a desire to have change take place in your life than the, the difficulty that's in your life and affecting it right now. Over the past few months, what have you discovered about the way that you deal with difficult things? We've had a lot of time to ourselves, a lot of time to think about life and what's important and what matters. How much of that time do we spend watching TV or looking at our phones or not focusing on the things that actually need to change? There's more opportunity for quiet. And so during that time, what have you discovered about yourself, about the way that you deal with difficult things? There are things about each of us that aren't healthy. There are things that need to be made whole and well. And so the same question that Jesus asked is a question that he asks of us. Do you want to get well? How does it work? How do we allow Jesus to heal us? Well, I think the answer can be found in Matthew chapter 11. Here's what it says. Jesus says this in verse 28. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way that we allow God, the way that we allow Christ to make us well, is we go to him. We come to him. There's a news story that I came across a few years ago, and it's about a man who lived in Pennsylvania, and his name's Jerry Lynn, and he's reminded every single day that he's not as smart as he thinks that he is. And so he tells the story to this news station about an alarm clock that he lost inside the wall of his home, and it rings every single day at 7.50 p.m. for daylight savings times, 6.50 during other times. And so he tells the story of how this happened. He says that he tied the clock to a string in September of 2004, and lowered it into the wall through a vent in his home. Lynn set the alarm, hoping that the noise would help him drill a hole in the right spot through which to pass a TV cable. Not very bright. But the battery-operated clock, it fell off the string, and it stayed inside the wall ever since. And he he tried different ways to get the clock out, but eventually he just kind of gave up. And so they asked him, what are you going to do about this clock that goes off every day? And his response was, At this point, I'm just going to wait until the batteries run out. And so every day, he's reminded when this alarm goes off of this really dumb decision and mistake that he made. My question for you this morning, are there any alarms that are going off in your life? Do you feel, do you find yourself dealing with the consequences of past mistakes? These little annoying reminders that you aren't as clever as you thought you were. Don't spend your life waiting for the batteries of past decisions to finally run down. I think sometimes we decide instead of dealing with our circumstances, instead of getting well, I'm just going to try to wait this out. I'm just going to let this problem continue instead of allowing Jesus to make me whole again. And so that question, do you want to get well? This morning, what is your answer to that? Do you want to get well? If yes, things can't stay the same. For the man in John chapter 5, his identity was wrapped up in his difficulty. And if he answers yes to the question of do you want to get well, things change in his life forever. Some things get easier. Some things get more challenging. The same is true for us when we become a follower of Jesus. If we allow Jesus to make us whole and complete and well, things change forever. Our identity change. 
the name that defined us before, the name found in our circumstances that somebody else handed to us, that doesn't make us who we are any longer. We now live under a different name. That name defines who we are. And that name should be the name of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you want to get well and you want to respond to the invitation of Christ and allow your sins to be forgiven through baptism, we want to give you that opportunity. If you need to be made well and come to, to God through prayer this morning and find encouragement here uh, among this body of believers, we want to offer you that opportunity too. So if there's anything that you need, any way that we can help you, won't you respond now as together we stand and sing?